Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I think that's like the way I always start this podcast just about every time. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Oh, man. Work is being done. The cap rail is back together. It needs to be fared out and shaped a little bit more, but that was a troubling repair uh, as far as overthinking it and all that sort of stuff. A big shout out to my my good friend Scott. He uh, he was instrumental in getting that piece of teak and uh, getting it right here on Sparrow as quick as possible. So I can't uh, can't thank you enough, pal. That really is something. And uh, obviously to all the support that I've received from everybody, listeners and uh, Patreon family and everybody. So pretty pretty cool stuff. Uh, but before we start today's show, which is just sort of a Really, it was sort of a question, an email that I got. Not really a question, but um, I suppose it is. It does have a question mark after it, but it's essentially talking about um, sailing, the people in sailing that were sort of inspiring to me. And, um, you know, I thought about it uh, a little bit, and I think rather than just listing off people, I think I can do one better and actually get into uh instances where they've actually helped me while I'm out at sea, people who are either long dead or still alive, but have done some pretty epic stuff and uh, have allowed me to draw on their experiences to uh, be able to keep keep going and keep my morale high, so to speak. But before we start the show, like I always say, if you want to support this podcast and keep it ad-free, like 40 Six, I believe, uh, of the Patreon family. Strong now, which is great. Picked up a few new people, which is awesome. Um, You can follow the link to the Patreon page, and uh, you can become a supporter, a donor, a part of the family of this show, which keeps it going, and I definitely really appreciate it. Other than that, we still have all the merch out there. I'll put the link in the description for that. And uh, if you want to reach out to the show, like so many of you do, and I absolutely love it, uh, just head over to SailingIntoOblivion.com. Follow the podcast link to contact the show. So without further ado, you know, the world of sailing, for me, I sort of initially was shotgunned into it, I suppose, just because my old man was such a ardent sailor. He loved it. Um... It just seemed like it was his favorite pastime. Not really a career by any means, but something that he absolutely was passionate about, loved doing it, and shared it with us. In the beginning, maybe not so much with teaching, more of we need uh, extra bodies on this boat. And so we would sit there and kind of moan and groan. But as any son likes to do, they want to impress their father. And uh, so you take your father's interests and you turn them into uh, a possible career or at least that's what I did but I was very fortunate to find that sailing was an absolute uh, passion of mine and I have still to this day after pretty much 20 some odd years uh, love it and I love almost every aspect of it maybe except for varnish work other than that though I pretty much 
still just am itching to get back out there and do some more sailing, whether it be on the ocean or on a lake, in a small boat, big boat, who knows. Uh, it really has just been something uh, that that has driven and directed my life in so many different ways. And I think it's a great way to spend time. Uh, I always feel as though when I'm out at sea, I am definitely living in the present, in the moment, because there really isn't uh, any reason to be planning and plotting too, too far ahead when you have things to deal with or just time to sit and experience and enjoy that's sitting at your doorstep you know if you have bad weather coming in yeah you've got to sort of get motivated and get planning and all that sort of stuff but if you have a beautiful day and maybe there's questionable weather off in the distant future you're pretty much going to enjoy that day and maybe kick back with a book and read and uh, just enjoy the most incredible view on our planet uh, which is just the ocean waves and a beautiful sky and clouds. Wow, that's almost sappy, but it's true. <laughs> so I don't, I don't really care. But to the sort of uh, topic for today, which is sort of inspirations, and I, I suppose it would be, you know, uh, to go back to discovering some of the inspirational sort of people or books or anything like that. I think really. When it came down to the actual people that I started to read their books and they opened up a world of sailing and sailing adventures that I didn't even know existed. Uh, the first and foremost would be God Forsaken Sea, which essentially they, it's all about the 97 Vendee Globe and the disasters and the heroic rescues, guys like Pete Goss and all that sort of stuff happening. And, you know, at its base, I'm sitting there thinking, holy cow, there are people that take a boat by themselves and they go all the way around the world. Like, that is insane. I couldn't even believe it. But it just sparked my imagination. And I do remember thinking long, long ago when I was probably my late teens, early 20s, that that might be something that would be pretty cool, being on an open 60 and flying through the Southern Ocean and crazy speeds and all that sort of stuff. Uh but you know that whole that whole racing racing scene, although it's very interesting and never sparked my interest uh, the way the way that just heading off and doing a sailing adventure really did. And I have to say that it was it was the books by Robin Knox Johnson, Bernard Mortissier. They were the ones that were really instrumental in inspiring sort of this idea that you don't need the super fast, crazy expensive boat to be able to go and rip around the world. You can actually do it on a budget and you can do it safely on an old boat and in a classic sense of the of the classic sense of of adventure of, you know, I'm going to go out there bare bones without a huge team without all the nicest gear and all that stuff and it's going to make it a little bit more uncomfortable and maybe a little more risky i'm i don't know it's hard to judge that they don't they don't exactly line up and uh yeah those those were some of the it just the idea that you could you could take an old boat and you could use the old style of thinking from the 1960s um, 
and per- before that of sort of old seamanship to be able to make it around the entire planet in one shot and do it alone and do it, you know, without all of the creature comforts that, that come with a lot of the modern technology that's out there. And to me, there's something in that alone that seemed like an additional challenge. Now, again, I'm not trying to like pit one against the other because the challenges in racing, you know, on a high performance boat around the world are, are astronomical. I mean, <laughs> couldn't even imagine. But you know, the challenges of doing it on a 40-something-year-old boat are also equally daunting, and you also have to, you do have to consider the challenges as far as mentally, you know, what and how you're going to be able to face being out there for, you know, not 90 days, but 290 days possibly. That's a long time. That's, that's That's a pretty big difference, I think. So I guess, you know, to get down to some of the examples, um, I think the best one is probably when when I broke the desalinator pump on the trip around the world. So five, six hundred miles into the Indian Ocean, the pump breaks, immediately run down. I'm looking, I have like 15 gallons of water left on the boat. I got the entire Indian Ocean left to sail. Really not a place to, to pull in uh, and... You know, those are the times where you start questioning, like, okay, what's the game plan? Do we keep going? Do we turn back? Um, All that sort of stuff. And I really, really drew on Robin Knox Johnson's experience with his trip around the world and how just uh, in Cape of Good Hope or just in the Indian Ocean uh, goes through that nasty gale and gets knocked down severely and his water gets basically uh, contaminated. And so he's in that situation. And I think it was the fact that he, he decided he'd just keep going and he was just going to catch as much water as possible and all that stuff. So, you know, in a lot of ways, I almost, I almost relished the fact that I was sort of in that same situation. And I think what was interesting about it was it almost humanized this this you know sailing giant Robin Knox Johnson that that did all this stuff and endured so much well and all of a sudden and and you know as as someone who is starting out the big ocean sailing you you're kind of you're seeing these giants and you're thinking man I don't know if I could handle what that person went through but then all of a sudden you get you find yourself in the same situation and as scary as it is and as worrisome and all that is going on in your head. But there's also this tiny little thing in the back of your head where you're like, okay, now I get to really measure myself up here. We'll see if I've got what it takes to do what that person did. And that was definitely a big driver in uh, not only not only continuing on, you know, across the Indian Ocean and then underneath Australia, and then things got bleak, and there were times where I thought, oh, man, we might have to pull into Fremantle or Tasmania or something like that. Uh, But, you know, continuing to eke out that supply. But then the interesting part of this, which is sort of an oddball thing, was that when I got the food drop in the Falkland Islands, I didn't take any water on. And part of the reason for that was that I knew that if I had done that, I would have sort of lost a little bit of that edge 
the not edge that I had with Robin Knox Jazz, or maybe just the similarity, the association of, you know, we were pretty much in the same situation and we had to catch water for the entire remainder of the trip. And I don't know. I, I think if if his story had not been that way, then I don't think I would have been in a situation where I would have said, nah, you know, better get some water, play it safe, all that sort of stuff. I'm already getting food. And I'm glad, you know, I'm glad that I was sort of inspired to to tough it out and keep going and and push on and be able to sort of say at the end, you know, looking off into the distance that, yeah, I had to catch water the entire time. Oh, man, the last, you know, hundred and hundred and seventy days of the trip was all rainwater. And as foolish as that might sound uh, to me, it's it's a pretty valuable part of the the whole trip. And it's something that I I I guess I'm I'm just proud of. Oh, we got the jets rolling in. I'm still down here in South Carolina and there's a marine base nearby. And I believe they teach people how to fly the Harrier jet. So hopefully we won't get too many of those low flies, but I'm sure you might pick up a little background music or background noise. Uh, so yeah, it's, that was, that was definitely an inspire inspired moment as far as just being able to sort of push on because, you know, I think there is part of us that always uses sort of our heroes or our inspirations as a measuring stick. And although you, you're never going to like try and push them off of the pedestal in, in any semblance, but you're always going to try and measure yourself up to them. And I think that can be a very useful tool because it can allow you to sort of strive well beyond what you think you might be able to do or what you might not be able to do. And you can say, well, you know, this guy did that or she did that. And I guess I could I don't know, at least try. Why not? And and that can lead to some pretty great things and it can lead to more than anything, you learning um, just about how capable you as a person are. And I think that's a very valuable, valuable lesson. And, you know, it, it definitely it definitely helped me for sure. I can't tell you how many times I was peeled through so many books on that trip and I would locate areas where, you know, uh, the other big one was Chichester's book, uh, Gypsy Moth Sales of the World. I believe that's the title. I, I, that one was a casualty of the knockdown unfortunately it was a nice old one with like yellow pages and all that stuff hardbound uh but i i used him as kind of a very different uh example or inspiration in a lot of ways because in his book and it was definitely an epic story epic sale all that stuff i don't want to take anything away but there is a lot of sort of uh, complaining, I suppose, about the conditions, about the boat, and and it's completely understandable. Um, in in a lot of ways, especially in the Southern Ocean, you feel like the world is just completely out to get you, and you sort of have to vent. It's natural. You 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 can't sit there and just be rainbows and butterflies all the time, even when the world around you is total chaos. But there is sort of it's I kind of used it as a motivator of, well, you know, let's look on the bright side here. Let's 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 not be, you know, a Danny Downer, a lay down Larry, all those sort of things. Let's let's try and not focus on the bad 
let's focus on how we get past this bad back into the good. And I think in a lot of ways that's super important as well. Um, and it's it's it inspires you. I think, you know, the whole definition of something that inspires you is something that creates an idea in your head because of what someone else either did or said. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, ah, OK, you're inspired. You're inspired to do something either go off on your own adventure or whatever. So that's, you know, I'm, I'm using a very broad, broad definition for, for what that is. But I think inspirations don't always have to be <clears throat> these, these thoughts and actions of grandeur. They can just be something where it's like an example where you're like, ooh, okay, well, that's something I don't want to do. Or, man, that's something I might want to try or... I think I can do better than that because <laughs> that's even an inspiration um, to to have that sort of stuff happen. And yeah, um, so I, I think that was that was that was something that I I often when times were bleak on the boat, you know, there's mold, there's there's bad weather around, it's raining or it's foggy, you know, the the we're becalmed and the the swell is still up and it's just a nightmare. You're just hungry and all this stuff. You know, I used to I used to peel through that book and I'd find wherever I was and find where he was in his his adventure. And uh, the minute, you know, there was like complaints about this, that and the other thing, I'd be like, all right, time to put the old chin up and get uh, get to work here. Let's do this. And and I think that helped. I mean, it wasn't 100 percent across the board by any means. There was plenty of whinging on my part. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's impossible not to. But it was it was kind of uh, a little bit of an inspiration to to try and and keep morale high and and stay positive and uh, you know get past the bad stuff and work your way towards that instead of just venting all the time and never really actually doing much about it although I will say venting can be quite a uh, a nice release of frustration so don't ever don't ever feel like uh, you can't talk to somebody about something because it definitely, absolutely, 100% helps quite a bit. Uh, I think, though, one of the really uh, important inspirations that I have, have found in my days was from Mauticier's first work, which is Sailing to the Reefs. And this was long before... He went around the world long before the the solo sail around Cape Horn with his wife. And, you know, this is back in his early days where he left from sort of Southeast Asia um, and headed out across the Indian Ocean and ends up, you know, wrecking on a reef and being on an island for a couple of years, rebuilding or building a new boat and then sailing off again, getting all the way around the Cape of Good Hope to the Caribbean. I don't want to give the whole story away, but essentially it's this this epic, epic adventure, a penniless adventure. You know, they're they're shooting cormorants uh, with slingshots and, and cooking them in a crock pot and they're they're eating, you know, reef fish that are around their boats and eating the same meal for a month at a time and talking about how sick they are of having to eat the same fish all the time, but they don't have any money to, to do anything else. And one of the things that that sort of rung true in my soul was just the fact that there are a lot of reasons 
to not go and have an adventure and do something and and you know shake things up and money is is always really high up on that list and in a lot of ways i used to just always think back in the day i'd be working away down in the caribbean and i'd see these sailors coming in on their boats and having fun and then they'd sail off into the sunset you know for other islands or parts unknown and be looking at that and i always thought to myself man that must be that just must be something else and i don't know how the heck they do that because how do you even buy a boat how do you get that much money together where you can then buy a boat and then you can go and still like pay for food and all these other things that you would need to do i just didn't understand it it didn't make sense to me and I was probably living a bit irresponsibly, I think you could say, as far as uh, spending the money instead of saving it that I was earning and all that stuff. And essentially, uh, after a while, though, I sort of got into the idea that, yeah, you could pretty much make whatever happened happen. And you don't really need piles of cash sitting behind you because... Although that can be a great security blanket to know that, yes, if all else fails, you'll be able to do something about it. You'll be able to purchase this. You'll be able to get out of trouble. It's sort of like not really a get-out-of-jail-free card, but in that same sense where you just know, okay, if, if everything goes terrible, I've got a little bit of a backup here, and we can go, you know, I, when I used to do yacht deliveries sort of all over the world uh, in the early 2000s, that was one of the rules that I had was that I always tried to keep, I think it was like 1000 or $1,500 in my bank account at all times. And that was, and I used it as, that was my emergency, I could fly home from anywhere on the planet fund. So I knew that, you know, if I traveled to go hop on a boat with some yahoos that I didn't know, and we were going to sail from the Caribbean to the Med, and... We made it halfway and things got really bad and out of control and I had to like jump ship or I got kicked off the boat or something like that happened. Uh, then I'd be able to, you know, pretty much walk to an airport and then be able to fly back and sort of reset and restart. So that was that was sort of my little security blanket. Then it's definitely a different level when you're actually owning the boat and all that sort of stuff because it can very rapidly turn into a pit where you just... You just toss more and more money into uh, going off into the weeds a little, but I'm going to circle right back into it. But to have these stories of these these sailors, these solo sailors making their way, you know, halfway around the planet on a budget of next to nothing, you know, picking up the strangest works. I I, I think Matissier, he was he was making charcoal uh, on one of these little islands like Diego Garcia or something like that um, in the Indian Ocean just to be able to afford the stuff and the wood and everything. And when you not only you're, you're getting a little bit of money together, but it's really what's instrumental is that by just leaping out there and being in that adventure, you know, it, it was obviously bad that he wrecked his boat, but the experiences that he had on that Island and the people that he met and all of the support that he received from all these people that, you know, saw that he's got this drive and this resolve, like, I'm going to build a boat and I'm going to keep going on my adventure. And, and so I think that is a real big part of, of what you can't buy 
with any amount of money. You know, you might be able to just say, I'm going to write a check for $10 million. I want the perfect boat and I'm going to go around the world. Well, that's great and all. Uh, and you might have a pretty epic adventure doing it for sure. And you might not have any breakdowns, but I could argue that some of the breakdowns turn into some of the most epic stories and moments of any adventure. You know, I, I, I forget who says it, but it's a, it's pretty well known, I think, that the adventure begins when 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 things begin to go wrong. I, I butchered that, boy. <laughs> I definitely did. I'm going to look that quote up at some point. Uh, but essentially, you know, the true sense of the word, yeah, you, you come up with this game plan, and then as soon as that plan fails and you are in the thick of it, then guess what? That's when the adventure truly begins. And that's something I definitely have... Uh, Oh, a little bit more than my share of experience with, I would suppose. But yeah, just knowing that a lot of that stuff was possible. And then people had done this. People had adventured out there and and seen these places and overcome crazy amounts of adversity without a penny to their name. Sort of sparked in my imagination and inspired me to, I think, just make the leap earlier and not feel like I needed to have not only the money to purchase the boat, but a huge amount behind me to be able to then, you know, finance whatever I needed to finance. And so, you know, the budget was pretty tight for that original plan with this boat, which essentially I bought Sparrow to sail that trip around the world. And then that was going to be it. I had no intention of sort of becoming a liveaboard sailor and a cruiser and uh, continue doing adventures. But that's just, you know, gets you gets its hooks in you, so to speak. And then you just have trouble getting away from it. And uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been an adventure <laughs> so far. And it seems to get a little more adventurous each time I go out there. But we'll we'll have to see. Uh, but yeah, these these. These people that inspire, um, as far as sort of the the sailing part of it, they do a fantastic job. I, I think sailing is is so steeped in history and and tales of grandeur and misery and distress and and success that there's enough for anybody to pull ten thousand stories out of out of the pages of a million different books and and be inspired. I mean, I know. When I read some of these books, I just, I, I when I read Contiki, uh, you know, about just riding a raft across the Pacific, I, I'm like, man, I want to go and get on a raft. And <laughs> I want to try that. That sounds like fun. And maybe that's my own warped sensibilities, my own brain that's uh, rattled by years of, of sun and sea and wind and rain, but... I don't know. I, I just hear about these things and I just think to myself, man, what an experience that must have been. And I, I think that's what a lot of it comes down to. I mean, if I were to look in a general big picture thing at all these books and all these people and all these stories that have sort of inspired me to even just step foot off of dry land and go out there and take take my own first leap into my own sort of adventures, it's it's this I don't know. It, it's it's like you're being shown this 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 pathway through life that's possibly there that you might not have even known is there. But then all of a sudden somebody's saying, "Well, d- 
did you know that uh, so-and-so did this? And they were able to do that. And here is their memoir of their experience going through and and what happened and all that. And, and uh, it just, when I read those, all of a sudden I'm just thinking to myself, holy cow, that is a beautiful shared experience and now I want to find something it inspires me to like find something either similar or at the same level of challenge or anything like that it just is it's a strange feeling that I get and it's 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 not just a mental like ooh that could be cool but it's just like butterflies in my stomach where I'm kind of like I get this almost nervous feeling of 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 a like, wow we could I could come up with something pretty cool. I mean, I, you know, just the other day I, I'd sat and I talked for just, just a few minutes with a person who's done the, the great loop and they did it in a trawler and, and all that sort of stuff. And I believe, you know, I, I talked to Walt many years ago. He was the first interview on this podcast and told me about the great loop. And I think ever since then, I've always had it in my head that the great loop would be really fun to do, but it would be, absolutely epic to do it in a canoe <laughs> i don't even know logistically if it's possible to move a canoe fast enough through the northern section of that uh to be able to actually complete it you know in like a calendar year or if you could even do it in a calendar year i mean you know you're going down the mississippi a little bit so that it might be doable but yeah i mean that's that's the sort of thing these shared experiences all of a sudden just inspire and they get into my head. I mean, and it, you know, it also doesn't even have to just be a person's experience or a book. Uh, you just put me in a room with a globe and all of a sudden I'm starting to plot and plan different, different land and sea adventures. I mean, the most dangerous thing I've ever come encounter with is, uh, you know, six pack of beer and a whole, whole bunch of world charts because, the the lines just start getting drawn and the the ideas and the thinking and all the thoughts and I do that a lot on this boat and I really shouldn't because it does kind of get me into a bit of trouble now and again but I don't know there's something about that that to me that's like real living it's just that feeling of like ooh what if we did that and I it's almost as if I don't want to I never look at the hardships that I, I know I would be facing. It's more of just the idea of the adventure as a whole. And and I don't know, you know, I definitely sugarcoat it a little bit, but then I like to snap back to reality and then think, you know, what it's actually going to be like. But it's there's a lot of stuff out there that can inspire you. But I, I do think the the shared experiences of, of people that have done pretty, pretty epic trips and epic adventures, mostly Motissier, Knox Johnson, all of those guys. They're just the, the sailors from the 1960s and 70s really, really uh, got me out there and changed my life, uh, I think, much, much for the better. Because some of the experiences that I've been able to have, I wouldn't trade for anything. I absolutely would never. And there are things that I get to draw on all the time and I think about quite often. I try not to live through the past, but uh, it's also something that I think I think what really counts as wealth is those experiences. And the more of them you have, 
the more you can draw from and the more I think that I think of that kind of as like a retirement where you're essentially I picture it like this. When I hit a certain age and my body starts to fail me and I can't really go out and do any of this stuff, which is getting closer and closer every day. Uh, I, I picture sitting on a porch with a rocking chair and, you know, I always picture myself solo for some reason. I, I wonder why. And I just picture myself sort of reading through some of these old journals and old log books and, and just sitting and, and spending my days kind of reliving some of the, the stuff that I was able to do because that's definitely one of the one of the the great aspects of of sailing uh, long journeys, you know, having that logbook and having the data and having all that stuff marked down for the future so that I don't have to sit there and remember it. I can just look back through those pages and I can be brought right back. And yeah, I, I think <clears throat> I think to sort of wrap this one up because I do have to get back to work here. I, I think that one of the best inspirations that has come from these books that I've read is to try and write down as much of the adventures and trips and travel and experiences and feelings and anything uh, from my own experiences that I can because you know if if guys like Montessier and Knox Johnson decided you know I'm gonna keep a journal I'm not gonna keep the log I'll keep it real real curt and just you know a little sentence here and there we wouldn't have these works and if they didn't take the time obviously to write the books then you know, there's so many people that would, myself included, probably would never done a lot of the stuff that I've done. And that's why I think it's important. And so I, I definitely try to always fill in journals and, and I definitely always do the logbook. I mean, hey, that's seamanship. You got to do it. But to then try and, you know, write books and write articles or things like that, that's that's something that I, I sort of struggle with for sure. But it's it's also, I think, something that has been inspired by the people that have already shared their works with the world and shared them with me, you know, it doesn't have to be on the grand scale. It can just be a personal thing. And so, yeah, that's, uh, those are some just random, <laughs> it's amazing how an idea can go from, uh, just a small email, quick question to all of a sudden, uh, something that, that all of a sudden all these ideas come into my head and I'm like, Oh, quick, give me that microphone. <laughs> oh, cause it's been good. I, you know, I've been so busy trying to do all this stuff that, uh, you know, uh, it's been a, a few days since the podcast come out, but mm, we've got a hot, hot tip on a possible podcast guest coming up here. Oh, hopefully within the next week, I'm not going to give out the name, but uh, if I get this person on the show in person, it's going to be absolutely epic. I, I'm not going to say anymore, but uh, we're, we're in for a treat if all things go well, because it's time, you know, I've been, I don't know, this is like four, four or five shows in a row where it's just been me and uh, we definitely need to get some, some other people on board here and uh, start, start talking about you know, just other things. I love it. I, I love the fact that that sailing binds a lot of the people that I have on the show, but they all have these 
absolutely epic, interesting lives outside of it, and they share it with me. So hopefully we'll get into some more uh, of that stuff. I've been begging and, and pleading with a lot of people, but uh, so far the the bench right across from me remains empty. My goodness. But, hey, we're going to just plug away and we're going to move forth. So once again, thank you for everybody who listens, everybody who supports, everybody who Writes into the show. Uh, it's definitely a really big help. I hope everybody has a fantastic week, and uh, hopefully we'll be sitting down with somebody in the very near future, and I'll just throw that podcast right out then and there. Other than that, thanks for listening, and until next time. <laughs>